0: In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. and We want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. The Strenuous Life is an online, offline program designed to help men learn new skills, make new connections, and take action on their intentions. Through a system of weekly challenges and 50-plus badges, members develop mentally, spiritually, and physically and become more effective in the world. New members of The Strenuous Life are enrolled into a 12-week challenge, which is designed to help you form new health-boosting, mindset-enhancing, life-improving habits. You'll be asked to hit certain benchmarks in terms of daily physical activity and good deeds, earn at least one badge, and complete a diverse range of weekly challenges. It's the perfect way to start the new year on the right foot. The next enrollment of The Strenuous Life will open on January 2nd, 2024 and close on January 4th, 2024. Go to strenuouslife.co to get on our waiting list and be notified as soon as enrollment opens up. That's strenuouslife.co. Hope to see you on The Strenuous Life. Hey, this is Brett. We're taking a break this week for the holidays, but here's a rebroadcast of episode number 780, declutter, downsize, and move forward with your life. I don't know about you, but after Christmas, I always feel overwhelmed with stuff. I got this new stuff, and then I think, I got to get rid of some of this old stuff I haven't used in a long time to make room for this new stuff. Well, this episode provides some actionable advice on how to do so effectively. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. You want to declutter? You want to downsize. You want to live more simply. So, what's been holding you back from getting closer to those ideals? My guest today sourced through both the psychological and practical roadblocks that can get in the way of living more minimally and more in the present. His name is Matt Paxton, and he's a downsizing and decluttering expert, a feature cleaner on the television show Orders, the host of the Emmy nominated show Legacy List with Matt Paxton, which showcases people's heirlooms and treasures, and the author of Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, Declutter downsize and move forward with your life. We begin our conversation with how Matt got into cleaning out houses and working with hoarders and some of the worst cases of hoarding Matt has seen. We then get into both the mindset and brass tacks tips he's learned from the most extreme cases of clutter that can be used by regular people who just want to pare down their stuff. We talk about why we can feel so attached to our possessions and how to let them go while still preserving your and your family's memories. Matt recommends how and where to get started with your decluttering and offers tools including creating a maybe pile and a legacy list for deciding what to keep and what to chuck. Whether you're dealing with big items like furniture. Furniture or small stuff like documents and pictures. Matt explains what to do with your stuff, whether trashing, donating, upcycling, or selling, and how much you can reasonably expect to get when you do the latter. Spoiler alert, it's a lot less than you think. We end our conversation with how, after you declutter your place, to keep it from getting clogged up again. Oh, and we also discuss where to find hidden stashes of money when you're cleaning out a house of an older person who's died. This is a really fun and interesting conversation that definitely motivated me to clean out our house. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is clutter. All right, Matt Paxton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. So you are a downsizing, decluttering, and hoarding expert. You host a show on PBS called The Legacy List. You've also been on a Hoarders. I'm curious, how do you get in this business? Because I don't think there's a lot of 12-year-old kids out there thinking, when I grow up, I want to help hoarders clean out their house. So how did you get no, in this business?
1: I mean, I jokingly say you failed at everything else, and this is what's left. And
0: the truth of it is, I was an
1: economist coming out of college, worked for the Federal Reserve, And I wanted to be a banker, really wanted to be a banker badly and got all the accolades to do it. I mean, great economics degree, got into the Federal Reserve. It was awesome. And then like second day, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. (laughs) And you train your whole childhood life to do it. And basically, I left after six months, went to Caesars Palace Casinos, and I became an economist for Caesars Palace Casinos. And as a 23-year-old kid, I didn't have the maturity to live in that city to be really blunt. And, um, it was just, I mean, it was, it was wild wildness and, um, got addicted to everything I did too. So I came home and I was at 23, I had to start over. And I had always cleaned old ladies garages and stuff just for extra money. That year after I came back from Vegas, my dad, my stepdad, and both my grandfathers all died. And that's when it kind of like happened. I was just this young kid, depressed, sad. And I was tasked with cleaning out all their houses. And I did it for a year and it was just awful. I was sad. I was alone. I was lost. I didn't know what to do. And all the men that had raised me had died. So I couldn't really ask them for help. And one time my grandpa told me early in my life, he said, Hey, if something sucks, do it as a career because people will pay you to do it because they don't want to do it. And he was totally right. (laughs) So here we are 22 years later, I'm talking to you. I'm still doing it. I honestly just I didn't hate it, so that's why I kept doing it. And then when I cleared out those four houses, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just kept cleaning little old ladies at, at church. I'd clean their attics and their basements, and then I stopped helping them to move out. And then I realized these hoarding houses, nobody wanted to touch them, and so I could charge more. And I loved it, and I did it for five years before I got on TV. I clean, just cleaned hoarded houses just one after another.
0: All right. So you've been doing it for what, 20 plus years? 21 years now. Yeah. 21 years. All right. So you've been doing this for 20 plus years. I mean, give us an idea. I think people have probably seen hoarders, but like, what's the, the biggest, you know, how, give us an idea how extreme hoarding can be. Like, what's the biggest project you've worked on?
1: All right. So, you know, I do the physical part of the cleaning. And, you know, the harder part is the mental lifting, right? So, and, and we'll talk about this more, but the, you know, people hoard for a reason, something bad's happened to them. And so it's important to know when you walk in one of these houses, the bigger the mess, the more extreme it is, the more insane it looks to you, that's how damaged, now hurt that hoarder is. So I always have to preface, because this is the number one question, what's the grossest thing you've ever seen? You know? Right. I mean, oh man, I had 300 cats in one house one time, like alive. They were running, we had to catch them, 300 cats. And that first cat, that's easy. Like he's fat and lazy and hungry. You just put some treats out and grab them. But the next hundred, they're, they're, you know, they're pretty wild. And the last hundred are wild animals that, you know, they're not going to be caught. I mean, and you have to like take out drywall and stuff. I mean, that last cat, the 300th cat, that dude has survived for years and has every disease. I mean, like it's the toughest animal in there. And those are the ones that were really hard to catch. So, like that, I mean, the smell on that, I mean, was horrific. I had, I mean, I don't want to get too gross, but I mean, there's just been some incredible messes. Volume-wise, we had a mansion in North Carolina one time. Uh, if you know the the traditional thirty yard dumpster that you see on the side of the road at a construction site, right? And so my business is in cubic yards, which is so that's a thirty yard dumpster, and a cubic yard is basically equivalent of like a like a, a dishwasher. And we were moving out ten dumpsters an hour out of that house. So I'm talking three, the equivalent of 300 dishwashers we were picking up and pulling out of that house every hour for four days. Wow. And we, we pulled over a million pounds of trash out of that house. And I mean, volume, I mean, that was 30 guys for four days, 12 hours a day. We've cleaned out. We had a, we had a 18-story building in Detroit that we had to clear out. And people had just kind of taken it over and hoarded out each floor. And the, the developers had us come clean it out. I mean, there's just, it's, I mean, the, your average home, think of everything you have in your house. And we, and we look at it and the floor is full. And so we think, oh, our house is full, right? The, the walls and the floor. and But really, you know, that's a 2D look at it and a hoarder looks at it three-dimensionally and they can fill it all the way up to the top.
0: Well, so you mentioned hoarders hoard for different reasons and usually it's because they're, they've got some sort of, you know, they've had some sort of trauma or they've got some sort of, they're hurt somehow. I mean, what are the like, yeah. the common, like, are there common issues you've seen with people who yeah. hoard?
1: Oh yeah. So it's pretty common. So it's trauma. It's always trauma. Something bad has happened to them. They're looking for their, something, you know, good in stuff. A lot of us look for it in gambling or faith Or drugs or alcohol or working out. And and I know I'm putting lots of different things in the same pocket there, but we all look for happiness and self worth and something. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. For the hoarders, they look for it in stuff. It's usually divorce or abuse or death. Uh, A common one lately is, believe it or not, just an empty nest where people have dedicated their whole life to raising their children. And we're at that pocket where there were some really young moms. And so these women are now 50. And their kids are out of college and they're looking for their self-worth, their value, because their husbands are out working and they didn't get a career. They gave that up for their family and they successfully raised a really good family and they did a great job. And now they're gone and they're 50 and they don't know what to do. And they go on Amazon and start shopping and all of a sudden the house just fills. And so, I mean, that's not a
0: horrible abuse thing. It's just a loss they, they've gone without their kids well, another trauma you talk about that you see with people and they're, these people are they're not they're leaving us now is you know people who grew up during the Great Depression they love to hold on to stuff and it's because they grew up in a time of scarcity and it's like you could probably use that salt and pepper shaker one day. so we're gonna hold on to that
1: yeah I mean I, you know I have a lot of clients and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean I have a lot of clients that remember not having food right? They remember, I mean, I was in Oklahoma one time and she's like, oh yeah, no, my dad had to leave for three years. He had to go to California to try to find work. So we didn't see our dad for 10 years. I mean, that's true. I mean, could you imagine that nowadays? Your dad just taken off for 10 years and sending money and he did it to support the family and the kids stayed home. And she's like, you know, she, I remember, and I talked about it in the book, actually. Um, one lady remember telling me, she's like, oh yeah, one year I got an orange for Christmas and my brother got a peppermint stick. And we would uh, and they would jam the peppermint stick in the orange and suck the oranges, and that was their treat. And I was like, Yeah, like a stocking stuffer. She's like, No, that was our whole gift. <laughs> and we were we were proud to have it, man. We as a society don't really know that type of sacrifice they had. And this is, you know, the last kids of the war, the last kids of the depression. They didn't trust banks for a reason, right? It's why we find money in a lot of these houses. It all make any hoarder makes sense, believe it or not. If you know their story, no matter how extreme it looks.
0: It always makes sense. Yeah, the money thing was interesting. You talk about that where you've learned over the years that when you, especially when you go to a house where it's some, you know, greatest generation person. that's 80 and over. 80 80 and over. over. Like you go to specific places to look for cash because you know it's going to be there. Yeah, I put it, I got a top
1: 10 in the book that tells you the top places. I mean, my favorite one at the freezer, man. We always find ice blocks full of money. And I actually had one client, a younger client that she would freeze her credit card. Because she didn't want to be able to use it, <laughs> I thought that was kind of brilliant. It put a it put a two hour thaw period on her on her purchase desires, and she didn't rem- she didn't remember the numbers. She didn't write it down. This is before they were all saved online, and so she literally would freeze her cards so that she couldn't get to them. And I thought that was actually brilliant.
0: Yeah, the toilet tank is another
1: place you look, right? Yeah, top of the toilet tank. So obviously not the part where you poop, but you pull the top part out. They would put it in a ziplock and tape it. We find it. Books is obviously the number one place. I mean, we shake every, if you're over 80, we shake every book in the house. We'd grab it by the binder and shake it. Cause we'll
0: find, I guarantee you we'll find thousand bucks. Yeah. in a Bible or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 I, I remember when my, uh, my grandfather passed away a few years ago, my mom and her siblings were going through his apartment, cleaning it out. They'd find just like coins in medicine bottles, like all, oh, over, yes. all over the place. And then, oh man. the So your listeners, it would be the red
1: Folgers coffee can. It's either filled with pennies nails or buttons and it's an old tin coffee tin and and we often find money in there the old orange prescription bottles you filled with quarters Now a lot of those are actually silver so you know Mm. don't don't negate those one thing we find a lot nowadays just i was i got my you know start on the east coast near washington dc so a lot of our clients were were government employees and they were in the 80s they would all get savings bonds with their paycheck each week U.S. savings bonds. So, I mean, I know, I can see the color from across the room of that little mustard orange yellow uh, envelope. And we, I mean, we would find, you know, $150 savings bonds. And I remember one lady, she goes, oh, those are expired. I was like, no, ma'am, they're matured. <laughs> <laughs> they're a big difference. A lot of times we're just not aware. I mean, we, we find, this is the sexy part of what we do. I mean, we find old stock certificates that have not been converted to digital. They're old paper certificates, which is live money. And I mean, I've had to train a lot of my employees to understand what you know what all those things are. I mean, we found $2 million, I'm not exaggerating. We found $2 million in old stocks. And the lady, the guy actually had put them in a, in a big manila envelope that said trash and sealed them. And, and just because my work with hoarders, I knew there was something else going on. No one's going to seal something and write trash on it. So I opened it up, $2 million in stocks. And he put them in there so that when the robbers came, They wouldn't uh, know that it was important. Uh. And so in his mind, it was a safe. (laughs) But to the untrained eye of a clean out, it's trash because it says trash.
0: So so you say your job is the the physical part, the cleanup part. When you work with a hoarder, are there like therapists that come in and also help with the underlying issues?
1: Yeah. So on the TV show, we have a therapist 24-7 on set. And in real life, we require them to go to therapy beforehand. Because, look, I was an economist, so the, to, um, I lean heavily on math. Yes, I'm a trash man, but the numbers don't lie. And at the end of the day, if the th- hoarder goes to therapy, it's a 60% success rate. They will keep their house clean. But if they don't go to therapy of some kind, and therapy might be – it may not be like CBT, sitting on the couch and you know talking to a therapist about your feelings – there's a lot of new different cuts of therapies. It might just be volunteering, but they have, they have to have something to deal with the emotional part. And if they, if they don't do that, it's a 0% success rate. Let me repeat that. If they don't do some type of therapy, I guarantee they will repeat. And so we don't think it's ethical to clean the house and take their money from the family if they're not going to do something to fix the mental. Gotcha.
0: Well, let's say someone's not a hoarder, but they have a lot of clutter around the house. When you work with these people, do you... Are they, just, are they just less extreme versions of hoarders? Yeah. So let's put the, again, let's put the math
1: behind that. 5% of the country hoards. That's 19 million people struggle with hoarding. That's still a really big number. But that means 95% of the country just has too much stuff. And that, that's, that's the majority of us. They just have a problem with too much stuff. They bought too much or they save too much. And they just want a, a, a different life. And so they want less things. And so it's not that, you know, not everybody's a hoarder. They just want to have a better life with less stuff. And I, and I married a minimalist, so I've gotten really onto the vibe of, of less is more. <laughs> and I've, I've really embraced it, and I love it. And I think a lot of people are
0: getting to that life of simplicity. They just want a little less, which is totally normal. Why do you think we get attached to yourself? Like, Why do you think we just collect stuff, and then we have a hard time <sighs> getting ready? Because sometimes you'll notice, like, oh, man, I got a lot of stuff here, but you don't do anything about it. Yeah. So uh, I could, I could, I mean, I,
1: I did just write a book about this, so we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's there. I really want to stress this. The stuff is stepping stones. And I really want people to buy into this mentality. We got it at a certain point in our life to get to the next point. So we needed it then it served a purpose now, and it may not serve as a purpose now at this phase of our life. And that's okay. I mean, I think about like my, Got like my skis and my snowshoes and my fr- – oh, man, frisbee golf was huge for me in my 20s. It's where I had my most social life. I'd hang up with my buddies. We'd get a beer. We'd walk in the woods. We'd throw frisbee golfs. We'd, we'd play for hours. Did it every weekend. You know, the last – I've been raising a bunch of kids for the last 10 years. I didn't touch them, and I gave them away. And when I moved, because I hadn't played them in eight years, we moved to Georgia – just the other day, my boys and I were walking. We came across a beautiful new frisbee golf course. They're like, "Dad, I always wanted to do that. Let's go play." Now, I had given them away, so I had to go get new ones. Is that okay? Yeah, because technology changed anyway, right? And there are a lot better ones now. So, what I mean by that is it, it did serve me a purpose at one point in my life. It didn't at another point, and now it does again. So, I went out and bought some more. That's okay. We hold on to stuff because we think we need it, or it was expensive. We, and, and the bottom line is, I, I could give you 20 excuses. We hold on to things because we have a positive memory attached to them. I mean, it's really just stuff. It's really just atoms. Like, it doesn't matter. You could, you know, we're not in a, if you live in the U.S., you, you don't have a scarcity of stuff. You know, even though we, we didn't have food and stuff during the pandemic, you still, you, you weren't going to go hungry, right? Like, we don't, we don't live in a time that our grandparents did. So really, while we're holding on to stuff, we want to prove that we have value, either to ourselves and to other people. And it's going to get real deep here. We want to prove that we're successful, that we've made it, that we've done well. Or we just really want to, you know, we think it brings us happiness. I mean, I I did a TED Talk on this concept of, you know, as a young dad, I wanted to buy my kids a lot of stuff because I didn't have a lot of stuff growing up. And I was raised by a single mom and she worked really hard to, to give us what she could. And so I wanted to provide for my kids as much as I could. So I worked super hard to buy them all this stuff, right? And then I would have to work harder to make more money, to buy more stuff. And I would start giving excuses like, oh man, I'm doing this for you. I started telling them I was doing it for them. And I would start telling them that it was all about, you know, trying to make them happy. And and I was not around. And so I was working harder. I was working harder for more money and spending less time with my kids. And so it was a lie. Like it was a trap, right? That I was just working harder for more stuff. And so I'd miss my kids more and I'd miss my kids more. I'd feel bad. So what would I do? I'd work harder to buy more stuff. It's this vicious cycle. And at the end of the day, I was like, this is dumb how about I just spend more time with my kids and buy them less stuff? And so I did. And so I've really settled down and we, you know, we keep stuff because we think it makes us happy or the items are associated with someone that did bring us happiness and joy. So that's why we hold on to a lot of stuff from the past because it re, we reminds us
0: of great people in great times. And that's why the title of your book is keep the memories, loses, loses stuff. Like understand that the thing is attached to a memory. You can keep the memory of that. Yep. Attached to that, but with, with, while getting rid of it at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I've tried to really dumb it down. Tell
1: this the stories the one forever. And like, I've been lucky enough that, and I say that again, I've been lucky enough that my dad and my stepdad and my grandpa, they, they died early and it gave me a career. And my dad, now none of my kids were alive when any of those men were alive, but my kids can tell you 10 stories about each one of those men because I tell the stories all the time. And I have a few items I call them legacy list items. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I keep those items and I continue to tell the stories about those men. So my my sons will come up and be like, oh, dad, tell us the story about that time that grandpa and you guys went fishing with a bear. That's awesome. And then they hear the story and they're like, oh, let's go fishing. To me, you tell these stories. I'm not saying it's going to cure everything, but it does get you started. And if you tell the stories, you pick a few good items, you tell the stories, what it does is it keep, it. keep it really puts the top tier of your items that truly matter and the people in your past, the people they're attached to those memories, they live on forever. I mean, my kids will have never met my father, which is insane to me, but they are man. I mean, my oldest is my father. It's crazy. It's scary how much alike he is. And so like my kids will even be like, Oh, that sounds like what your dad used to be like. I'm like, yeah. And so, like, I, I mean, I constantly talking about people from the past because they're part, they're still, just because they're not here, they're, I mean they're not part of our family, but they're attached to the items we have in our house. And so we have less items because we're able to tell them, we, we tell the stories of them. So we have less stuff, but the people stay
0: alive forever. Okay. So I think it's a good, like, it's an overarching philosophy of how you approach. Yeah. It's like, t- tell stories about the items, keep those stories alive, but you can get rid of it. You don't need that thing anymore. Let's get into more like brass tacks. Yeah. How, do we, how do we get started, man? How do, how do you get started? started? So like, let's say yeah. someone comes, comes to you, uh, you go to their house, they're feeling overwhelmed by the clutter in their home. They don't know how to get going. What's the first thing you do with this person?
1: All right. So define the finish line.
0: You got to really know where you're
1: going. And I'm, the reason I do this is so many clients come to me, man, I'm ready to declutter. How do I start? Oh, great. Well, what, what's, what do you need it for? Oh, well, I don't know. Thinking about moving. Great. Where are you going to move to? Oh, I don't know. My mom might move in with us or we might move in with her. We haven't decided. And I'm like, well, how can you decide what, <laughs> like, how do you decide what you're wearing on vacation if you don't know where you're going, right? Like, that's really what it bears it down to. And decluttering, there's two things that are really easy to quit, working out and decluttering. And they behave very similar. And so the, the all these tools are really meant to keep you from quitting, right? And so defining your finish line is really important. And then your why. And the why is very, it still gets pretty sentimental. And then we'll get into really deep stuff here. But on the why is like, well, why am I cleaning? Like what, what, like a lot of my clients are downsizing. And so they're seniors and they're going to get out of a house of 50 years. And I'll say, great, where are you moving? Well, I'm going to move down to be closer to my grandkids. So I'm going to move to a smaller apartment in Florida. Great. I got my destination, which is my finish line. I'm going here specifically. I know the floor plan. And two, I want to be closer to my kids. That's my why. I tell this story all the time, but my son I've struggled with weight my entire life, adult life. I've I've gone up and down 20 to 30 pounds and it bothers me. And I've been working on it. My my 12 year old son said to me the other night, this is like in October. And he said, Hey dad, are you going to die at the same age that your dad did? What do you mean, man? He goes, well, your dad was 52 and you're 46 dad. So that means you're going to die when I'm 18. And he goes, dad, I've been watching you. And it looks like being a dad is really hard and I'm going to need help. So I kind of want you to be here. This is at night, right? Like I'm I'm trying to put my kid to bed. I'm like, buddy, do you think about this? He goes all the time, dad. I go, buddy, I promise you I'm going to be here. And he goes, well, then why do you eat all those bad foods that you know are bad for you? And I started to diet the next day (laughs) because I want to be a grandpa. That's my why, right? So get real clear on your why and where you're going because that keeps you from quitting. That keeps you focused. I mean, that keeps you going because it is real easy to quit. But when I realize, oh man, I got to be there for my son, then I do it. Same thing on decluttering. All right. Step two is take it really slow. So many of us, it's taken us 10, 20, 30 years to fill these spaces. Like, I mean, let's just take, let's not make it a big house clean, let's just make it a garage. You got two car. you got no cars in your garage, you want one car in the garage. That's awesome. But if it's taken you 10 years to fill that garage, so don't try to do it in one Saturday. That's not realistic. Because you haven't been doing this in a long time, you got to get the skill set back up. So I always say, like, do a, what I call a ten-minute sweep, which is like really, really, almost nothing. You pick a one-foot by one-foot area, half of a, book, a bookshelf, an individual shelf, maybe your car's trunk, maybe you know a one-foot by one-foot area. I just say the junk mail is a good place to start. Even that that junk drawer in the kitchen, on the top left, wherever you have yours, filled with the old Bed Bath and Beyond coupons that are expired, by the way. (laughs) Everyone has one of those. Like start in that small area and go for 10 minutes. That's it. Do 10 minutes a night for a couple of weeks. And it's not about what you got accomplished. It's that that you got something accomplished, that you got started, that you're getting used to it. And that's what matters. And then once you're used to it, then you can expand it to an hour, hour and a half, two. But I really wouldn't do more than two. I mean, you really got to get used to just doing it, doing it slow, because otherwise it becomes a job and it becomes overwhelming and it becomes easier to quit. And once you quit, you stop.
0: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made to measure suit. a lot of fun, and then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Now, I think that's a good point. Start small because I, I know when I've done decluttering projects in my own life, I'll try to do it all in a weekend and- never works. It never works. You just get tired. And you're like, okay, I'm done and I'm not done. Well, and our life doesn't suit
1: that, right? Like, oh, I got to take the kids to the game. Like, If you have children at all or grandkids, it, to cut off 10 hours on a Saturday is a thing. That's hard now. Our one day off, this in the you know really off, and so you have to f- just do an hour, man. If you try to, if you know, clo- I hate closets. I hate closets because you can shut the door and you can walk away from it and avoid it for a very long time. Um, we actually, we actually don't have any closets in my house. My wife's a minimalist designer, so we, we actually don't have any closets because guess what? If you don't have any closets, you can't store a bunch of crap that you don't need. <laughs> And so
0: to me, closets are a symbolism of of it's just the easier to quit because you can shut the door. Do you have any recommendations like on where to start your decluttering project? Let's say your entire house is just, it needs a a clean. Where would you start? What's the best place to start? Um, And I'm, I'm different
1: on this one. I, I say, don't start with the pictures. I'll say that because pictures can really wear you down, but pretty much anywhere that's not heavily emotional. Like if you just lost your partner, don't start in the bedroom right? I I don't mind doing the garage because it gives you a clean, empty space to work in that's dry and inside. So sometimes I will start in the garage, but I'll set my expectations really low because the garage also has a lot of boxes that you can break down and make a lot of space. And so I would say where you should start is somewhere you can see a lot of success immediately. So if your dining room table is filled with mail, that's a great place to start. Gotcha. I actually love, I think dining room is a great place to start because it's a big table that you can use later for sorting. And quite honestly, none of us are really using our dining room anymore. I mean, it, it, for a lot of us it's become a, an office or it's become a place for the kids to have uh, school during the pandemic. I mean, not, rarely do we sit at the, we don't sit at the sun, Sunday dinner anymore at the dining room table. Like that's, that's not something that happens as much as it used to. So that's an easier place to start. Now there is some emotion there because a lot of times if you're, like if your grandma, Downsizing to leave the house actually that's the last place you want to start the dining room table. If you're a younger generation that you don't use that room that much, then it's a good place to start. For grandma, like that was the most important room, and that china and that crystal and the silver that's really important.
0: And the reality is, the majority
1: of your kids don't want that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a problem, I, I imagine coming up. Where uh, oh, it's now. Uh, yeah, it's, it right now. yeah, now, yeah, because like brown I brown furniture. Yeah, my you know my mother, she's got a, a china cabinet full of china that was her mother's and grandmothers'. And I don't, we don't have a dining room. Like I don't, I don't want, I wouldn't have any, like there's going to be a lot of China cabinets in China on the, the Goodwill market here pretty soon. So
1: I work, yeah, I work with Goodwill. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually Goodwill's ambassador for downsizing and decluttering. And this is something we're working on now, a series. It's not that, and this is really important. This is for grandma. It's not that no one wants your stuff. It's not that they don't love you. They just don't want that stuff, the dining room right? Because we don't have a use for it. Our family memories are made, you know, at the ski slopes or at the beach or at the river. They're often at vacation spots or somewhere else. And so we want those great memories. We just don't need them from the same place that you had those memories. I mean, Goodwill is filled with China, silver, crystal, and brown furniture, and they can't sell it because nobody wants it. Oh, maybe there'll be like a revival here in 50 years. You know, nope. Where, no, you don't think so? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a room that doesn't even need to be in the house yeah, yeah. anymore. Right? And so, you know, I, I will say that, well, I mean, look, mid-modern furniture is huge right now. And that's beautiful. I don't think we're going to see a bunch of brown furniture from, you know, the colonial dining room furniture. We just don't need it anymore. I'll say this. If, you're, if, you, if you love your china, if you love your silver, use it every day. You know, I saw an old meme, a meme the other day that said, every day is a special day. Don't save anything for a special day. And as cheesy as that is, I think it's true. So if you like that stuff, start using it, man. I have seen families start displaying their legacy list items in their China cabinet. They got rid of their China. Beautiful China cabinet. You you know, with the glass windows, you can see everything. Start putting items that actually matter. Things you actually care about that tell the story of your family. Like start putting those items in there and showcase them and, and tell the stories and let people see what matters in your house. That's a good way to kind of re up, upcycle it and reuse it. And donate. By the way, donate, 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 donate. Like the more you donate, the, you will not be happy with what you get money-wise for the stuff in your house. Here's a stat that'll blow your mind. I mean, I've emptied thousands of houses. And when you empty a house after the kids have taken the stuff they want, guess what the average household value is of all the items inside your house? No clue. $8,000. That's it? That's it, man. You spent a lifetime and probably a couple hundred grand filling it. Now, good, you've taken the stuff you care about out, you know, the important stuff, but all that extra junk. And it's funny, I just did this last year. I moved and I've been saying that stat for five years now. And I sold all the stuff in my house on Facebook Marketplace and I made (laughs) (laughs) $8,000. It was like within $200 of what I always say. It's about 10% financial value of what you paid for it. So if you think you should list it for a thousand bucks, you're gonna be lucky to get a hundred. Now I'm summing, I'm averaging. This is not every single item. But just you know, set expectations extremely low. So like that dining room set. My mom paid five grand for it. Dude, if you get 500, you'd be lucky. You'd be real lucky. If someone picks it up for free, you'd be lucky, to be honest. And a lot of that stuff. Pianos is a real challenge. Nobody wants big pianos anymore. Your mom might have spent $75,000 on it in 1950. And that's a ton of money, right? But good luck getting even getting it donated right now. People just don't have. That's not for common life right now. Those things, but yeah, I mean, it's it's donation is where you see the most value. There's always someone that needs more than you. There's always a group of people that have less. And I found that, man, the more you donate, the more you give to a family, the happier you will be,
0: and and the cleaning goes faster. I imagine that's another reason that people hold on to stuff because they think it's really valuable in their head. It's valuable. It's like, well, this Mm -hmm. this is a grandfather clock that's been in our family for three generations. It's worth you know, $90,000, it might be, maybe there, maybe there's a market, but like, probably not. Most people aren't going to put a grandfather clock in their house.
1: No, let's do mindset. So this, a lot of this book is about mindset. And so emotional value and financial value, emotional value, it's worth a hundred thousand dollars because it was your grandpa's. Tell me about your grandpa. That's why I talk about the story so much. Your grandpa was awesome, but that financial value is not, is not (laughs) actually equated to how awesome your grandpa was. He might've worked his butt off to get that clock for you guys. He probably did. He was an amazing man and you really miss him. I'm sorry. He's dead. This is the kind of conversations that happen in the houses that I'm working in. I go, that's great. But I got two bidders on this clock and the highest bid right now is $500. And you only need two bidders because that's basically whatever an independent third party is going to pay you for it. That's what something's worth. And what I've found is when we start hanging on to that, well, it's worth so much more. What that is, is, that's procrastination that's your brain trying to slow down. Cause you're just not, you're, you're sad. you it's hard to let go of stuff. Cause at one point, like, what if I need that again someday? What if someone really wants that? Or what if my kids want it? Your kid's eight. I don't think he wants that clock. <laughs> right, and are you going to haul that thing around for another 20 years? You know? And so we start to procrastinate. What I remind people is you've already decided you didn't want that item. You've already made the decision. It's not going with you. You just didn't like the price that was attached to it financially. And then I start to say, start to look at the value of your time. Are you really going to haul this thing around and spend 100, 200 bucks every time you got to move it? And you're going to spend hours trying to que- you know, squeeze another $200 out of it from someone else. Your time is worth so much more. I mean, your time is your biggest currency in life, I believe. And so like, you got to put a value on your time. And like, I've seen families fight over $100 on a table. And I'm like, dude, if there's 10 people here arguing for three hours on text... Over hundred dollars, really? <laughs> like this is ridiculous. So I, I really encourage people, I mean like, put a financial time on your, on your, on assume a financial value on your time, and that really starts to tell you, you know, how much something is actually financially worth. But what we're arguing is over the emotional value, not the financial value.
0: Well, related to this, you talk about uh, the issue with sto- comes up with storage, right? Where people will take that furniture that belonged to grandma or grandpa and put it into storage. That costs like up to three hundred, four hundred dollars a month. And if it's there for twenty five years, you've what spent maybe a hundred grand, dude? I had a lady; she was paying one hundred fifty, no, two hundred and
1: twenty five dollars a month. I got my calculator; I'm gonna do it right now. And it was her nice stuff, right? This was her best stuff, and it was in there for two twenty five a month for twenty years. So that was fifty four thousand dollars she spent storing her nice furniture that we sold for about five grand when we got it out. Yeah. Okay. So, negative $49,000. I told you earlier, let the math figure it out. I talk a lot in the book about a spreadsheet decision. A spreadsheet will take the emotion out of it. And I'm going to put that math right again. $54,000. It sold for $5,000. It was $49,000. If having it there brought you security and made you feel better, then it was worth the $49,000. Might not have been, though. And so I, I t- remind people, everybody, again, back to the stepping stones, like you had it at some point in your life because you needed it. Now you don't need it. It's okay to let it go. But man, 49 grand, think what you could do. Think of the opportunity cost with that 49 grand. I mean, that's put that, let's, let's think that was in a bond, right? Yeah. What if that 49 grand had earned 5% a year? <laughs> like that's a whole, and now you're looking at 200 grand over 20 years. You know, when you think about it that way, and it's just stuff. Don't get me wrong. Stuff has given me a career, and I love. I have some nice stuff too. Like I have a, I have an Air Jordan collection. I love Air Jordans. And I have a very expensive Jordan collection. My wife hates it, but it's the one thing I enjoy. So that's okay. But I, um, by having less stuff, it
0: enables me to have nice, fewer nice things. Okay. Uh, so again, the reminder there: separate emotional value with financial value always, and then start off small. 10 minute sweep, work your way up. Don't try to do this all in one day. Start in a room that's, you know, whatever gives you success. Yeah. It gives you success. So when you're talking with a person, they're going through their stuff and they're looking at each item. How do you help them decide whether they should keep it or get rid of it?
1: So I have a lot of exercises. I mean, one, when's the last time you used it? And in my book, I say, if you haven't used it in a month, do you really need it? Now that was a trick for the readers. Is a month long enough? No, of course it's not. And everyone gets mad at me. Oh, the month's not a long, it should be six months. It should be 12 months. It should be 18 months. And people argue, great, I just wanted you to pick the time. <laughs> That's all, I put the lowest time possible to make people decide when it is. It's usually a year. If you haven't used it in a year, do you really need it? I, I talk about skis all the time. I mean, where I grew up, we used to get snow and we all go skiing every Friday night. Man, we had had snow in like five years right? The world's just changing and I don't have the time to go skiing everywhere. Like that's not realistic. And, and skis have changed. Start getting realistic about that. And I, what I call that is your fantasy life versus your reality. A lot of us live in a fantasy life. We keep all these great clothes. We keep all these amazing items, even with hobbies. Like people have kept all these hobbies during the pandemic. Are you really going to make that many more blankets? Are you really going to make that much more sourdough bread? How much stuff do we need for these hobbies? And it was the fantasy life that we had at that time. And I say, let's get real focused on your reality life. That also goes with clothes. Do I need my size 28 jeans? I'm a snug 36, guys. I think I can get rid of my 28s and my 30s and my 32s. I still got a chance on my 34s. You know, I had to get, rea- you know, the reality in my closet is that that stuff doesn't fit me anymore. It's easy to, you know, I, used to, I tell people to do like with, with you have grandkids, like do a fashion show. Put on the clothes. Well, one, if they don't fit right away, you know right away, right? If you can't even get them on, then come on, donate them. If they're just ridiculous looking and the kids laugh at you, eh, probably time to get rid of those too. And then really focus on the donation. Again, think of how many people could use that. I mean, on my TV show Legacy List, we just had a a show last week that aired where this guy was a retired NBA coach. He had coached for 20 years in the NBA, 25 years in the NBA. He had 10 NBA championship rings. He'd won one as a player and nine as a coach. And he had two whole closets filled with suits. And he was a tall guy. He was like 6'10", 6'9". And we were able to find a group that took those suits and they refurbished them to to men that were coming out of prison that needed nicer clothes. And they were ecstatic because they were tall. They were, you know, they were extra long suits and they don't get those. And so there were a bunch of young men that got really nice suits now. They could get back into the workforce and try to get a job. And it was through donation. And that was a way we were able to clear out his house he had to get real about his reality. He's not wearing suits anymore. He's not coaching anymore. He's retired. And so he was able to get rid of that stuff. But that was really hard for him because that, those suits were who he was. That's where he, that was his, you know, his armor at <laughs> war every day. And it was really hard. And he finally, he said, know, okay, I'm giving someone else a chance at a job, so it's worth it. He's like, and they're going to look good. And so again that, again, that don't figure out what you're doing for donating is really important. That's a tool. It's not just an easy place to drop stuff off. You got to believe that you're making someone's life better
0: and that'll make you happier to let go of things. Okay. So first tool, heuristic, if you haven't used it in over a year, get rid of it. You don't need it anymore. You also have this other tool you use when someone's sort of on the fence with something like, I don't know, like maybe they've got a lot of emotional attachment. It's the maybe pile. Maybe pile. love the maybe pile. So your piles are keep, sell,
1: donate, trash, and maybe. Maybe is really powerful. Because at the beginning you're going to have a lot more maybe because you're just not there yet, and a lot of times you'll be like, oh man, I love this item, got to have it on day one, and you and you're like, uh, okay, fine, keep, and then you say, all right, well, wait a minute, maybe I don't know, maybe maybe put in the maybe, and what had the end of each day you come back to the maybe pile and you realize I'm not sure yet, and if you're not sure yet, that's fine, because if you if you if you get rid of the maybe pile, then you're never going to move forward because keep is definite, right? Trash is definite, no question on either one of those. Sell is Pretty clear. Like if you can't sell it or you don't want to donate it, you put it in maybe. And then what happens is you come back at the end of the job and you're like, man, why did I keep this teddy bear from my girlfriend in eighth grade? This is ridiculous. You know, but at the beginning you thought that was important, but then you've gone through all the other emotions on this journey of cleaning out. And on day 10, it's not that important. And so it's easier to let go of things on day 10 than it was on day one. So you'll find that, and this isn't this isn't a full safe, you know, foolproof tool, but maybe pile really does help you keep going faster through the process and then helps you. You're not punting the decisions. You're just putting them later down the line when you're more warmed up. Gotcha. So you mentioned earlier this thing called the legacy list. What's that? So legacy list, it's the title of my show and a legacy list is just a a list of five or six items that mean the most to tell your family story. Right. For me, I've got a, a ring of my dad's. I've got a poker chip. I've got a cookbook from my mom that she actually made for my dad, and my parents got divorced when I was six, but later in life, my mom went out and talked to my every woman in my dad's family and every woman in my family and even the old ladies at church and got all their recipes that we grew up on and she gave this book to my dad and later in life and then when he passed away, I got the book, but it's all the recipes I grew up in, and it's in all of their handwritings. So it's my mom, my grandma, my great-grandma, my other great grandma, like all these great recipes, all in their handwriting. And now I have this one book with all of them in one place. That is an incredible legacy. Right. So why I want you to, to tell to really create a five or six items that tell your family story. It sets the pace on what's important to you guys. And and again, it gets you into the habit of telling the stories. And so what it does is when you have these five or six items, you got to share them too. You got to show them off. They're not meant to be in storage. You know, like you don't, if it's so important to you, why would it be in storage? Like that makes no sense to me. And I see so many families. Oh, this is really important. It was my great grandfathers. I love it. You got to see it. Great. Show it to me. Well, it's in storage. I got to go get it. Well, then I'm going to say it's not important. (laughs) It's not there. So like, that's something I've started to say, like, put that in your china cabinet, right? Put that on your mantle. put that in your bookshelf, like start putting those legacy list items out there. But what they do is it gets people used to telling the story. And then it sets the pace of what's actually important.
0: So these are typically items that belong to a parent, grandparent. Yep, right, that And you, maybe even
1: you, maybe okay. even
0: you. I mean, I had one lady that uh, I found
1: an Olympic medal. It was like a, she was, it was like an Olympic, she was a piano teacher. I mean, I'll never forget her. And I was a kid. I mean, I was, this is before I was a cleaner, but it's funny. I look back in life. I cleaned a lot of houses, even as a kid, I was just trying to hustle and make extra money. But my piano teacher, it was from Czechoslovakia. And I don't think that's a country anymore, but at the time it was. And she won a, uh, an Olympic medal in the javelin and female Olympic medal, silver medal. And we found it. And I was like, why is this in the drawer? She's like, eh, it's just from my past. It's who I was. It's not who I am. And I, I, was, I always thought that was fascinating. You know, I mean, even my grandma used to win all these county fairs. She would win these uh, blue ribbons for her, for her garden. And right before she passed, I was cleaning her house. And I said, where are all these ribbons? She said, oh, that, you know, your trophies should not be uh, found when you're alive. They should be found when you're dead. And she goes, otherwise you're bragging. And although I know she believed that, I, I think she's wrong. Like, man, we should see your trophies now. <laughs> like, put those ribbons. You don't have to put them all out. Put one out. But like, I, I think it's okay to brag about what you've done. I mean, put these items out. It's for your family or for you. But again, it gets you in the practice of telling the stories and being proud of your family. And what that does is it separates the memories from the stuff. And you'll find that you're able to let go of a lot of other stuff just because you're already telling the stories of people. You can only tell so many stories. And every item has a story. That's why I put a limit on the number. Because if if you're keeping every item and tell every story, no story is ever going to get told. And your kids are going to hire me to throw all your stuff away because they don't even know what the stories are.
0: One tip, so say you got your legacy list and there's like items you want to keep intact and display. But another, one of the tips I liked a lot was when you're going through maybe a parent's stuff or a grandparent's stuff, upcycle it. Like somehow use it, incorporate it into your life. So there's, I think you gave the example, you had some rings owned by some grandparents. You melted them down and made a ring for yourself. Yeah. So my wedding band is old rings from all the men and women in my family.
1: And I, I shipped it in and they melted me a wedding band. It's jewelry that would have just sat in a drawer somewhere. It's not particularly fancy jewelry. It's just gold. It's neat. And then, in fact, when I was going through all that jewelry to find that, and um, I, I love upcycling. I, I could tell you a hundred stories on upcycling, but it, it takes – an upcycling is taking old items and repurposing them for modern living but still allowing you to celebrate the past. It's like I love that I have my great-uncle stuff, my, and I found my grandfather's old ring from Alaska. He went during the war. He got placed in Alaska. And I didn't put this in the book, but the coolest thing I found was also awesome. my grandfather was a farmer, hardworking guy, never saw him cuss or take a day off. He worked every day of his life. Hardest working dude. I mean, he was a preacher, like everything, but just a wonderful man. And I found, with this Alaska ring, I found a telegram from him to his sister. It just said, Alaska is great. Send more money. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I never heard my grandfather ask for money ever. You know, he just didn't do it. And he worked really hard, but I love that telegram. So I actually kept the telegram. So I'm not saying get rid of everything, but like get rid of the 80% that doesn't really matter, right? That lets you keep the ones that really do. So I did keep the Alaska ring and the telegram because I think it's hilarious. And I have a feeling one of my sons
0: will like it. It's also smaller than a bread box, so it's easy to keep You could turn that telegram into like a piece of art, like frame it, put on your wall. I know I should. I don't have any. So my house is a minimalist house. We have no walls, man. It's all windows. (laughs) So like I've even had,
1: my wife took this to the extreme. I should say fiance, we're not married yet, but with seven, we have seven kids and we just haven't gotten to it, believe it or not. And we have six boys under 13. So we're like deep in it right now. But yeah, someday some of these items will get, we will get them. You know, I, I guess why I'm saying this is like, a lot of people are listening, like, well, you do this professionally, Matt. Your house is probably perfect. No way, man. My life's as crazy as yours is. I mean, my life is crazy. And we're just surviving just like you are. But a lot of these rules will help you keep it in mind, you know, and and, and slowly progress to where you want to be.
0: So you talk about, like, big stuff. China cabinets, jewelry, things like that, physical, tangible things. A lot of clutter is just documents and pictures. In, any advice there in helping people sort through that stuff? Because I imagine you walking home and there's just, uh, just piles all over the place. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone's got like their pile in their kitchen, right? Where they just put everything. How do you sort through that stuff? All right. So junk mail, get through the mail first. Junk mail is exactly
1: that. It's junk mail. Shred it, rip it up. If you owe somebody money, they're going to find you. So don't worry about that. I mean, if, if you find a bill, you owe pay it, obviously. But you know, 90% of your junk mail is it's just that junk mail. Go through it quickly. I I get into a habit of keeping it clean, which is my mail, I do that over the recycling bin. I don't even take it to a table. The minute you put your mail down, you're not going to touch it for a week. So I take it right to the recycling bin and I look at it and I shred it up. If I don't need it, I shred it right away. And so it never even makes it onto it because you put that bag down, it's going to stay. And that's a habit. Like that's how a lot of my hoarder houses started. Started with one bag. They went to Target to get something. They got tired. It was hot. They sat down in the chair, put the bag down and then they didn't empty it. And then like a week later, man, I need mustard. They go to the store again, get mustard, I mean, I, you know, when you empty a hoarder's house, you'll find like 10 cans of the same stuff <laughs> or like 20 hammers because they go to get it, they forget it, they put it down, they forget. So on paper, get back to the paper, get really, really focused on your bank statements. You only need the end of the year, 1231. That's the only one you need. I mean, your taxes, you do need seven years, but you can digitize all this paper. I mean, a very, honestly, there's apps on your phone now. You just take a picture of it. Genius scans a wonderful app. Take a picture of it, email it to yourself. You're good. I mean, you really don't need to keep most of your paperwork. You can scan it all, digitize it. Now, here's the kicker on the on this. Have two copies of your digital downloads. Have one on your computer and then save one on a hard drive and put that hard drive on a safe, fireproof safe. You want to back up your backup on that. I mean, so the paper, and in the book, I list all the paperwork you need, like all of it, and how long you need to keep it medical records legal records taxes all of it all your documentation where it gets hard is genealogy and pictures genealogy is something that comes up a lot in my career because i didn't know a whole lot about it early on and i went out to this conference in salt lake city called roots tech have you ever heard about it yeah it, man it's the it's the woodstock of genealogy and it's unbelievable and the amount of technology that's out there to help you find the information about your family. It, it's new to me. And I just love it. I'm fascinated by it. So I'm even finding myself holding on to a little more of the genealogy side of it. And so I always want to say, be respectful of that. If, if that's who you are in your family and you're the person in charge of that, then make a space for that in your home and respect it and make the space for it. And that's awesome. But on the pictures, man, that's when we get into trouble because we keep doubles of everything. We have doubles from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So the the ones I tell you to get rid of and and – when you're going through the pictures, get really, really, this is where I want you to do the 10-minute suite. Don't spend more than 30 minutes a night on pictures. Otherwise, it's just a, you get lost in there. But go through the, the whole piles at a time and say, okay, I'm going to get rid of the doubles. I'm going to get rid of the negatives. Because you haven't used them yet. It's 30 years, by the way. <laughs> so you haven't used them <laughs> yeah, yet, just okay. to put math in there. If you got it in 1990, it's 30 years ago. We don't need them. Get rid of the negatives, get rid of the doubles, get rid of the generic landscapes which is just, oh, that's a mountain or that's a beach. You don't know which one it is. And there's no people that identify it and no landmarks. That it. It's just the landscapes. Get rid of the generic landscapes. Get rid of the people that you do not know who they are or honestly care to know, you know, don't like them. And that's a new one I've added. The people you don't like. I can't tell you how many families that they like, oh, that's my ex-husband's family. I don't like this. Well, why are you holding them? Well, someone might want them someday. When's the last time you talked to them? Eh, it's been 15 years. They're not going to call. You can get rid of the stuff of the people you don't like and don't want. Now, be careful on genealogy. I want to say this. When I say pictures of the people you don't know who they are, this is not the old tin-type genealogical pictures.? Okay? This is just you know a picture you took on your phone, and you don't remember anybody in the picture. Is that a party in college? And they don't mind. get rid of those. You know the old, you know, really important family heirloom pictures, I still put those to the side. And so just those tips alone right there, like just the, the duplicates the negatives, the generic landscapes, and the people you don't like or don't know. That will knock out more than half your pictures right there. And then utilize digitization. Digitization on the end. Yeah. There's so many good companies out there that will do that for you. I I'm I'm a big believer in your time is worth more than you than the cost of that. So get it down to a reasonable number and then have it digitized. I mean and I'll say this one a stack of pictures one inch high is actually a hundred pictures. 100 wow. pictures <laughs> how many thousands and ten thousands of pictures do you have in shoeboxes I mean, or in buckets I mean I've had families that have like you know that whole room is dedicated to pictures now and we just don't have enough time or bandwidth or space to go through them all and tell the stories of all of them so get get focused on them get it down to I think 500 is a reasonable so a shoebox should be reasonable how many pictures you should totally save at the end
0: uh, another tip I found useful I'm in this well, I'm, I'm kind of getting out of the stage but I'm at the stage in life where my kids make me art mm. and you know You're like, oh, this is great. And then you throw it in the trash and they find it in the trash. Like, dad, why'd you throw this away? I made this for you. Uh, And you have to take it out and it just sits on your desk. One thing I've been doing is I'll take pictures of it. Yep. And then chunk it. Digitize the pictures. I have a folder on the phone for each kid.
1: I mean, and I take the pictures of it. Now with seven kids, I mean we're pretty ruthless. Like right. we're like, oh great, look at your folder, and we like t- we like great picture. And we rip it up and put it in recycled right in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I've made my kids a little harder on that. You know, but they're like there's just the other day. My eight year old was like, Dad, I made that for you. That. <laughs> so we do have a um, we have kind of a frame. It's one of those foldable frames. And that, you know, that opens up. And so each week the kid will pick and they, the younger kid, I mean, your kids are something like they're getting older. Yeah. This is really important for the younger kids. Cause I've seen families that like, they kept every single picture, every yeah. picture their kid made. And, and let's be really honest here. It's mediocre art at best. I mean, <laughs> right? at best, we're keeping it because we love our kids and we don't want them to get upset. We're not keeping it because it's great artwork, but once a year they make a good piece. And so that's what I'm trying to set you for. There's one a year you really want. So don't keep them all. And what we do is we take the picture each week, whichever one they love, keep that one they love, get rid of the rest, right? And at the end of the month, decide which one they love. And it goes in that frame that opens up, right? It has has a, a latch door on it that opens up. You can get them at any hobby store, right? And so you're switching out the pictures each month and they get to see the art that they choose, not you, them, and then at the end of the year, you've got one that you keep, and you put that in in the in a, a bin. And so I have a bin for each kid, and literally we keep one a year. That's it. But they've displayed up to twelve a year, and, and we've kept a couple of them digitally for each one. But I promise you, on the back end, we moved last year, and I had I had kept every I'd kept pretty much every painting of my kids, and I threw away like
0: all but like four or five
1: right. because. And they, and they haven't asked for them, I promise you.
0: Okay, so you've done all this stuff. You've sorted piles. You got your pile for uh, donate, sell, trash. That's pretty much it. And like you're big heavy on donating because selling Huge. it, yeah. it's going to take a lot of time, even money, and you're not going to make that much from it. So-
1: Well, and let's, let's talk about sell real quick. Okay. It's not that you can't ever sell. And I don't want to press a lot of, but, but the reality is a lot of the stuff isn't worth anything. But there's two ways I do encourage selling. One is through just mass, like sell it all. On an online auction get an online auction company to come in they do all the posting for you they market it they sell it they have people that they have buyers if you're doing a yard sale or an estate sale at your house it will not go well that's not your job that's not what you do you want a company that has lots of buyers to do it and quite honestly you don't want that in your house you want it at the at the estate auction house where people come and get it it's got to be online or there won't be a lot of traffic if you're selling items one off, I'm really big on Facebook Marketplace. It's the easiest thing and it's local. People, oftentimes people you know. So you can put stuff on Facebook Marketplace for whatever price you're willing to get for it. People will haggle, so be ready for that. But if it doesn't sell in a day, then just take it over to the buy nothing groups and donate it. But but there is you can quickly find out if there's a market for something. If 50 people ask you to immediately ask you for it, there's a market. Like, there's a market. And at tools Tools you should always sell. Try the furniture at a low price because it's still better than hiring someone to come pick it up. Because I mean, that'll cost you money. Even yeah. if someone buys it for 100 bucks or 50 bucks, but they come get it themselves, then that's still cheaper for you because you're not paying $100 for someone to take it away. And so, like, I mean, it, the key is don't waste your time. Put time limits on it, and I would say a day. Put it on Facebook Marketplace. If it doesn't sell, then just give
0: it away. Any tips on, so you've done all this, you clean your house out. How do you prevent the clutter from accumulating again? So the key is you spent, you know, you spent the last 20
1: years filling your house up. Then we just spent the last six months cleaning it out. Let's get back to the 10 minutes. We clean every night, 10 minutes maintenance, just like weight loss. You can't do a diet workout and then lose all the weight and then go back to eating the worst food in the world. You got to stay with it. So same thing with the cluttering. Just stay with it. Don't let it get away. Never put the bags down, right? Always empty the bag. Always empty the bag when you come back from the store. Equal in, equal out. When you buy something new, get something of the same size out of the house. Go donate it. On the paper, I keep a shred box in my trunk, and I keep a donate box in my trunk. Why in the trunk of my car? Because if I put it in the garage, it'll overflow and fall all over the floor, and I'll never take it in. If it's in my trunk, once it's full, I drive by somewhere, and the kid at Goodwill takes it out of the back of my car. I mean, I didn't have to like take it out of my car anymore. Good. Like that's how crazy that is. Like they literally come to yeah. they pop your trunk and they grab it for you. So just keep those boxes ready and, and take your donation stuff right to your trunk. Cause the minute you put it down, it's not going to move you. All you did was transfer it from point A of your house to point B. You didn't get it out of your house. Right. So I put those boxes in my, in my car. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Stay on top of it. Everything has a place. Put it, do that extra two minutes of work every night. When you get back from the store, put the stuff back where it goes. When you're working out of your tools, you got to do something. You, you use the hammer and the nails. Take it right back to the garage. Put it in its place. Don't put it down
0: on the kitchen room table because then you're not going to touch it until next weekend. Well, Matt, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work?
1: So the book, you can buy anywhere. Keep the memories, lose the stuff. It's on sale now. If you can't afford it, go to the library and check it out. And if you can, go to any you know Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target, any independent bookstore. My website for the TV show is MyLegacyList, MyLegacyList.com. You can watch all three seasons on there now or on PBS, anywhere in the country, public television. Uh, it's a great show. It'll really. It's a positive show about aging community American telling their stories. Super fun. We find a lot of awesome history there. But check that show out. And we have tons of tips all over MyLegacyList.com, lots of videos. And then we do have a resource section from our book is on that website, mylegacylist.com. So every company I've ever worked with that I recommend you using, it's all on that website. And then there's a chart of the first hundred items people ask me about. What should I do with it? Everything from pianos to stamps. Do I donate? Do I sell? And it gives you all the resources. All that's on the website at mylegacylist.com. And then of course my social media is I am Matt Paxton, any handle, anywhere you want to go. We got lots of quotes, inspirational quotes and helpful tips from the book and from my career and we'd love to hear from you and if you want to feature your family on our show we are casting right now for season 4 if you got a cool grandma that you just that's awesome and wonderfully weird and you want to feature her story go to mylegacylist.com we are accepting casting right now for filming later this year
0: well fantastic well matt paxton thanks for your time it's been a pleasure hey thank you man i really appreciate it My guest today is Matt Paxton. He's the author of the book, Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about Legacy List at mylegacylist.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash declutter where you can find links to resources and we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the A1 Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com. We find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINES at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast. And if you haven't an done already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it as always thank you for the continued support until next time it's brett mckay Don't mind telling to listen to the win podcast but put what you've heard into action